0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Unless we have traveled abroad, it is difficult for us as Californians and even as Americans, to appreciate the cultural place and value of a centuries-old edifice, a structure whose stability had endured through the ups and downs of time, that had borne witness to the births and lives and deaths of our ancestors, a quiet presence in the midst of something whose relative ancientness cast a shadow at least once a day, on all of our personal victories, defeats and ambitions. So it was with the temple at Jerusalem, the particular house in which the God who is present in all places and all ages chose to make his dwelling among his ancient chosen people. And though it was built by their hands, the temple and temple building itself have always been God's idea In Genesis, we see how the creation itself was designed by God to be a temple of his own making. There we read how God crafted the cosmos with a kind of escalating uh, specificity and focus. The titanic cosmic spheres are but the prelude, the land, and the garden, and then its citizens, man and woman. They are the crescendo. It is there where God himself walks, where the place, the place of his rest where after seven days and seven speeches of creation, he sat enthroned to rule his temple creation. But with the tragic exile of his royal priestly people, Adam and Eve, in the wake of their rebellion, God went out with them until such a time as he, after a long sojourning with them, would bring them home again. In the Exodus, we see among the Israelites in the wilderness the making of the tabernacle. It is no whim of the sojourners, but the very plan of God, who imparts to Moses how his dwelling place will be designed and purposed. As in the creation, God speaks seven times to Moses, telling him all that he must do. And then in his seventh speech, He declares the Sabbath rest, that he will sit enthroned in the midst of that tent of meeting. The tabernacle would go with the people wherever they went to train them how to be a disciplined temple people in the midst of a barren wilderness so that in the midst of the delights of the promised land, they would remember to serve the God in their midst. But they did not and for the great rebellion culminating in the sacrilege of the priests at Shiloh in the last days of the judges, the tabernacle was destroyed and its priestly people again scattered. In the Chronicles, God delivered to the man after his own heart the plans for his temple at Jerusalem. It would not be David's to build, but rather to gather together the precious materials to hold in trust until such a time as Solomon, his son, came of age to build and consecrate it. Over, Over seven years, Solomon's temple arose at the heart of God's chosen city, Jerusalem, high on a hill as a beacon to the traveler by. Within its walls stood carved Edenic scenes hearkening back to God's own original garden temple. At the end of the seven years, at the king's prayer, the fiery spirit of God descended again to rest above and within that house. And there that spirit would remain all through the glory years of Israel and long into its decline, into unfaithfulness, idolatry, and sacrilege. The temple and the seat of God would stand within eyeshot of the valley of Hinnom, where the people would go out from the chosen city to sacrifice their children to the dead gods of Canaan. That temple would be broken into pieces by the Babylonians as the awful cost of that sin, again scattering the priests and the people into exile. After seven decades, they would return and rebuild their temple though not nearly as gloriously as with the first. This was a temple of a remnant, of a penitent, faithful band returned from captivity to take up the mantle of Israel's vocation to prayer again. It began with just an altar, a place to offer prayers of gratitude and prayers of lament for theirs and their father's sins. But that fiery glory never rested upon that temple, as in the days of Solomon. That temple would be desecrated, it would be rebuilt, reformed, even embellished, and then desecrated again. It would ever bear the people's hopes of restoration after their judgment, and ever would it point to the fact that God's healing and the recreation of his people was an event that was still yet to come. By the time of Christ, it was the well-appointed artifact of a faithfulness known then only in glimpses by an even tinier remnant people than before. The temple bore witness to the impotent power politics of Jesus' day, a grandstand for would-be influencers whose increasingly elaborate plans to restore the kingdom's glory and free the people of God ended up tightening the grip of their captivity within. In the end, they used the temple as their prop, burdening the people whose house of prayer it was through mounting costs and the suffocating obstacles as they sought still to gather sought still to offer their gifts, and sought still just to find a place to pray. It is there that our Lord entered as an infant in the arms of his mother to be presented. It is there that he came as a boy to learn from the elders. And it is there that he draws near with grievous sorrow in the gospel lesson this morning to regard it, to visit it, and to judge it. Would that you had known, even you, even now, but you would not. And then, seven days after his lament, on the first day of a new week, Jesus rose from the dead. The new eternal temple raised three days after its destruction, just as he said This son of David, like his father of old, drew to himself the precious materials for that temple, the living stones of his faithful apostles and disciples, breathed on them the Spirit to consecrate them as a church, as the place on earth where God was pleased to dwell. From then on, until the end of the age, wherever the church was to be found, there was found the tabernacle of God on earth until all things came to fruition and the faithful would be at last returned to their place in the new Jerusalem, the city that is also the garden, Jerusalem, Eden, the heart of God's cosmic temple creation again. All of this comes to bear in St. Paul's teaching to the Corinthians this morning, and it is a teaching for us as well. Having been baptized into Christ the temple, and having received the spirit that consecrates us as its living stones, we, each of us, and all together as a people here, have become the temple of God on earth. The question facing us this morning is this what kind of temple are we going to be? Will we be like the temple of old, beautiful and bright and alive at first, and then chipped away at by carelessness that always seems to turn to idolatry and the sin that strips us of our vocation? Will we be like the temple of Jesus' day, wary and suspicious Obsessed with control and cost such that when Christ himself comes among us, we're too preoccupied with our plans. And so crucify him again just to keep him from interrupting us. Or will we be the temple of the remnant With only an altar and fervent prayer and fasting to hold us intact in a humble, faithful peace, while the empires around us continue to do what they can only and have always done swell up in their pretense and then diminish and disappear forever. Are we ready for the Lord to visit us in the Eucharist this morning as he drew near to Jerusalem in the gospel? As St. Paul teaches us, there is one God, one Lord, one Spirit. He who brought forth and filled Eden, the tabernacle, the temple, now draws near to fill this place and desires to dwell among us here this morning, even here in little St. Matthew's. May we welcome him into our midst and accept the discipline and formation he comes to bring. May we each and as one become a house of prayer again, a place in this world where God can be known. And may we know the time of our visitation and know with it the one who visits and all the things of peace he comes to bring. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Amen.